0: out. I'm the minister at Light of Hope over in Twin Falls, and that was in your announcements this morning. Next Sunday on the 4th, we're going to start Sunday evening services. Um, There's been a lot of the people, the homeless people in our community over in Twin Falls been asking. There's been people that have been coming into the ministry asking, so we're going to start doing a meal. It's going to start at 5 o'clock on Sunday, and then we're going to do services after from 6 to about 7.30. Um, One of the brothers that kind of has been traveling around the churches is going to come lead worship for us. And we're pretty excited to see what God's going to do over in Twin Falls with that situation. But also, we're always in need of help, as you see in that thing. It's a homeless ministry. We're feeding people that are living out in the streets. So there's a need for clothes. There's a need for food. And the greatest thing is they need to be known that they're not alone. And that's one of the examples we can be as the body of Christ. Again, Luke 17, chapter... Or verses 11 through 19. <clears throat> on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten of you cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is this amazing, Lord. How it encourages, strengthens us, and helps us to stand fast in the times of storms and the times of blessing, Lord. We thank you this morning that you are empowering our pastor to teach us and expand on your word, Lord. We pray you just fill him with the Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Isn't God good? (laughs) And I'm a testimony of his goodness. Scripture tells us in uh, Psalm 106, verse 47, it says, save us, O Lord our God gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Hosanna. Save us. Save now. And the purpose of the cry from the psalmist is that upon that salvation, when God touches, when God moves, the response is thanks. Thanksgiving thankfulness returned up to the Lord and Psalm 107 verse 31 it says let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men I'll tell you a trap we find ourselves in we find ourselves in a trap where our focus is always on what's wrong with everything you ever I'm a I'm a you know, I don't know, if you spend 10 minutes with me, you'll discover I'm a depressing person. <laughs> I don't mean to be, I just have, it's easy to see all the broken stuff, right? I I coached football for, I don't know, 13 years, something like that, and, and um, the kids always hated film time. We did film the day after a game, so we played on Friday night, we did film Saturday morning, and You would think you had the most perfect game of your life. You know, you say, wow, it was an epic game. I did all these great things, but uh, I will find everything you did wrong. You know, as we would coach, you know, everything. I would tell them what foot they step with first on a given play. You step with your left foot or you step with your right. Look. And I'd explain to him, you're supposed to step with your left. Yeah, coach, I I was supposed to step with my left. And then I'd back up the film and show it to him again. And I would say, you still haven't learned. You step with your left foot. Oh, okay, coach, I'll step with my my left foot. And then I'd rewind it and play it again. You still haven't learned. How many times am I going to watch it on this film and, and we'll see the same thing? Now, it was unfair because... There was never a chance it was gonna be right, right? Every time I rewound it, it was gonna show the same play. But to to try to grind in that thing, I could I could always see what was wrong. I could see what's wrong in our world, I can see what's wrong with the church, I can see what's wrong with me, I can see what's wrong with you, I can see what's wrong with a lot of things. But there's no place in God's word where God's word tells us focus on what's wrong with everybody else and the world and everything. Is there? And over and over again, God's word is calling us to an attitude of thankfulness. Now, I may not be able to to find the ability to thank God in my illness. I may not be able to find the ability to thank God in my cancer or for my cancer. But I can always thank him for his steadfast love. No. Choosing a life of thanksgiving really empowers a person to begin to see some real positive things change in their life I, for me a, a great example of that has always been my wife she's the opposite of me so if if I'm yin she's yang is that how that works she's a, she's the opposite of me so she sees the positive she's Pollyanna literally you you go somewhere and I, I mean um Pastor Gerald, if you guys, how many of you guys know Pastor Gerald from Yucca Valley? He comes out to Hagerman sometimes. And Pastor Gerald, he came to, I, I, uh, I served with Pastor Gerald for uh, 13 years in California. And uh, one day, Pastor Gerald got a new bus. They had uh, these cruise buses. And this new bus showed up, and Pastor Gerald's excited. He's like, man, look at the bus. And I said, isn't it just like the other one? And he say. Where's your wife? (laughs) And pretty soon Kathy come around the corner. We got a new bus. And Gerald, I know. Let's go look at it. And they go out and look at the new bus and be excited. And uh, there is a real power in having an attitude like that. Now some of us are negative Nellies. Okay, that's me. God didn't save me to leave me like I am. God saved me to empower me to become more than what I am. Now, it may be a work in progress. I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. And it's a thing. I, does anybody have a sin in their life they have to repent for all the time? So I'm not the only one? So, so I can see, okay, I'm falling into that rut, right? I'm falling into that rut of, of negativity. And I have to remind myself to choose thanksgiving. Being thankful. Being thankful for what God's doing and, and how God's moving. And this is such a great story of that because not only are, are men's lives radically changed, but one man is saved. And you'll see it as we take a look at the story. What's, what's he saved? He's he saved simply through choosing Thankfulness, crazy. It's crazy how. That, let's look at it. It says, "On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between, along between Samaria and Galilee." So, this is not some random statement. What's, what's, what's Jesus accomplishing in Jerusalem? He's headed to Jerusalem. What, what event are we headed toward? Crucifixion, right? Right. We're headed toward the crucifixion. We, we, should, we should be there right about Christmas time. I, I don't know why it never lands on Easter. Just Seems like I have to make that work. But we're headed toward Jerusalem for a purpose. Christ is headed to die. He's set his face, Scripture said, like Flint for Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. But on the way, he, he's walking along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, we all know that uh, the Samaritans are looked down on, right? Samaritans are looked down on, at least in, in Jewish circles. Because they are, uh, maybe what you would call a, a half-breed. The Samaritans are what's left over of the northern kingdom. After Solomon, the kingdom's divided into two. Solomon's son is a fool. He, uh, causes civil war within the nation. Ten tribes become North Israel or Samaria. That's their, their capital. And two tribes in the south become Judah. Judah, Samaria. And they're at war with each other, they're killing each other, brother against brother, like that's nothing new, right? That's part of human history. But in the north, they were constantly disobedient to God. And in their constant disobedience to God, God said, Look, things are going to continue to get worse and worse and worse in the hopes that you'll repent. But if you don't repent, judgment will come and the northern tribes will go away. And they didn't hear the prophets, Jeremiah the prophet. They didn't hear Isaiah the prophet. They, they, they heard, right? The message went out, but they didn't do anything about it. There was no response, there was no response to what God was laying out. So the northern kingdom is conquered by Assyria, and Assyria takes all the best of the people with them and, and really torture them all to death. Assyrians were horrible. But they leave behind all the poor, all the broken, all the leprous, all the dregs. And they become the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans weren't welcome in the south, so they wanted to worship, they wanted to follow God, so they created their own scriptures. That created another divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. Are you tracking with me? And then they couldn't come to Jerusalem and worship in the temple, so they built a temple on Mount Gerizim. You remember when Jesus found the woman at the well? She asked him the question, we say you should worship on this mount, the Jews say you should worship on that mount, where should we worship? Jesus says the time is coming and now is when the Father wants those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So you have this divide. Jesus is walking between the border. Now it sets up this story. It sets up the idea that there's probably a chance he's going to run into some non-Jewish people, right? We would know based on where I said I was traveling in the United States, what kind of people there I was likely to bump into. Same thing here. He's, he's likely to bump into a Samaritan, which we already know the people don't like, Right? They've already heard one story, the good Samaritan had to rock them a little bit. So we're heading into this one, and he's kind of setting up the same idea. Now we see there's ten men in desperate need of a touch of the Master, right? Look what it says. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, passing along between Samaria and Galilee, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So there's a, a pretty incredible thing taking place. Now, here's one of the things I want you to understand. Leprosy in the Bible is not equate with Hansen's disease. Now, it doesn't mean that it, it there couldn't be that. You guys know Hansen's, what we call leprosy now, where body parts fall off and, and parts go dead. Leprosy, biblical leprosy, was much more broad. Biblical leprosy was a disease that affected your social status. And it could be as simple as a spot on the skin. If you read Leviticus chapter 13, Leviticus 14, you, it's described to us that way. A, a wide variety of, of skin diseases could cause it. And in a lot of cases, it wasn't life-threatening. It just meant you were the outcast of the outcasts. Now remind ourselves where we've been coming, Right? The Pharisees, why are you taking tax collectors and sinners? They didn't even get a chance to say lepers, right? So those tax collectors and sinners, everybody has a prejudice, right? We all think we don't, but we all have prejudices, things we don't like. Well, maybe for the tax collectors and sinners, they would have looked at Jesus and said, why are you letting the lepers in? Because they were the outcasts. And if you stood in a group of lepers... And you said of the lepers, what's the worst leper? Guess what they'd say? The Samaritan leper. You see, you have this socio-hierarchy um, in life. We still have it today. It's different than it was for them, but we still have it, right? We still have those whom we elevate, those whom we uh, um, segregate. The, the, the concept that we have of dividing one another according to social status, but it also affected them spiritually. A leper could never go to the temple, could never go to a synagogue, could never be a part of service, could never come to the Lord. So there's this spiritual reality in leprosy that says, man, there's a need. If you want God and you're a leper, you're out. What do I do? The scriptures always gave you hope because the scriptures told the priest how to find a leper and told the priest what to do if a leper was ever cleansed. And you know, most of the time when a leper was cleansed, he was a Gentile. So the Jewish priests sitting around, you know, they didn't get a chance to practice Leviticus 14 very much. But on one day, well, they're going to have at least nine show up, right? maybe 10 all in one day showing up to the priest saying hey you know that we're supposed to make the offering that the law commands the guy who cleansed us told us to do this and then they got to open up the book and they got to they got to look at Leviticus and Leviticus the picture guys the picture of the sacrifice in Leviticus 14 for the cleansing of a leper is the exact picture of Jesus Christ coming dying for our sins and and cleansing us that's the picture Two birds. You take one bird and you put them in a clay pot. Like something heavenly puts on clay. Flesh. You kill it over water. The blood drips out. The other bird is set free. What's the picture? One dies. The other rises again. There's so many things that are going to point to the reality of Christ through this this illness of leprosy. They can't earn a living. But the scripture would tell us it's a type. It's a picture. It's an illustration of sin. Sin is death. Kills. Destroys. In uh, Leviticus 14.4, it says, the priest shall command them to take for him who is cleansed, two live birds, cedarwood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. Hyssop is a, a plant that they used as a, like a scrub brush. It kind of looks like, um, what do they call them things, loofahs? My wife's not here to fix me. You, is that right? You guys know what I mean? So a hyssop is kind of like that. And so you see in Psalm 51.7 that David cries out after his sin with Bathsheba as he's, repentant of his sin, he says, Purge me with hyssop. He's going back to Leviticus fourteen. He's making the point that my sin is like leprosy. It separates me from God, it separates me from his people, it puts me outside the camp. And he begins to understand that it's God who cleanses us of our sin. All of these things are working here before these lepers that stand before Jesus. They're commanded in Leviticus chapter 13 to stand afar off. They have to look different. Look what it says. A leprous person in Leviticus 13, 45, who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip. That means he has like something that goes over his mouth. Cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has The disease, he is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling will be outside the camp. Segregated, separated. Don't you see this is a picture of how what sin does between us and God? We're outside the camp. We're unclean. Everybody. The Pharisee who can't understand the tax collectors or the tax collectors alike. We all find ourselves in need of a savior. But listen, in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse thirteen, it says, "But now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." The the picture again of the sacrifice in Leviticus fourteen for the cleansing of the leper, and the picture that it's Jesus Christ who takes us who have been afar off and brings us near. And so these guys, here's my question: These guys come to Jesus. How do they know? How do they know to come? You think somebody's running to all the leper colonies and talking to them? How do they know? How do they know what's happening? We have the outcasts of the outcasts of the outcasts. And somehow they know that Jesus is coming. They get close enough so that they can shout to him. They get close enough so that they can cry out to him. And there's such a great picture there for us because that's where we need to be. We need to be close enough that we call out. But so often what happens is we do the other. We run away. We isolate. We withdraw. We get mad at God. Well, Lord, I don't know why you gave me this. Why you allow this in my life. Why this has happened to me. Oh, Lord, I don't understand why I have to suffer with this. Whatever. Whatever the thing is. You know that the Bible tells us that each and every one of us is beset by sin. But it also tells us that not each and every one of us have the same sin. Do we get that? Some of my struggles may not be yours. Some of your struggles may not be mine. But we all have struggles. We all have a sin that so easily besets us. It snares us. It traps us. And in that sin that so easily traps us and ensnares us, what God is looking for is men and women who will... Like these lepers, come afar off and say, Lord, if you're willing, have mercy. Cleanse me. Save me. Help me. What is so wrong with living a life in dependency on God? You see, since the beginning, since the Garden of Eden, man has made an attempt to declare his independence. I don't need you, God. Who cares what the fruit of the tree was? Who cares? I could eat every single tree in there, but there's one I can't eat. You know, there was not something abhorrent about that tree, nothing special. I, I don't know that it, it, that it accomplished anything. It's just God saying, there's a tree, you can't have it. What's wrong with, with saying as a man or woman or a follower of Jesus Christ... You know, it's enough for me just to be obedient to you. I don't have to know why. You say don't touch it, I won't touch it. But man has always had this innate desire to declare his independence. You know, I don't understand why that's wrong. Why, why can't I? Why shouldn't I? I? I think I should get to have Why can't I have it? it? You know what? If there's not a good reason, man, I've had these discussions with my kids a million times. Dad, why can't I go to the party? Because I don't want you to go. But why can't I go? I mean, there's got to be a good reason. And then you know what I catch myself doing? Giving them reasons. And when I give them reasons, I'm setting them up as the judge. Here, let me let you be the judge. And if my reasons are good enough, you'll say, Dad, you're so smart, and you'll become obedient. Where in the world does that relationship really work? That's not how our relationship with God is supposed to be. That's not how my... I don't have that kind of relationship with the police. But the police pull me over and they say, Excuse me, you're wearing a patch on your back, says you're a believer and you're speeding. Don't you know what the Bible says? Rusty says that to me every time he pulls me over. Every single time. And if you don't pull me over, he calls me and says it on the phone. But you know what I don't say? You know what, really, you got to give me a good reason. Why is it wrong? Why do I got to go 15 miles an hour by the football field? 25 is slow enough, I promise you. You need to justify that lot to me. No, what's the cop going to say? Boy, I'm going to justify a ticket. And if you keep talking, I'm going to impound your bike. And if you keep talking, I'll put you in jail. Why do we think that somehow when we talk about the ultimate authority, God Almighty, he's got to justify himself to me. When I do that, don't you understand that I set myself up as judge and I put God in the docks and I judge him. Is that what scripture says? That's how things work? Isn't that relationship the other way? Isn't God the judge? And when I say, Lord, give me the reasons so that I can judge whether or not they're, they're accurate or real, then who is God? Aren't I setting myself up as God? Who judges God? It's got to be God, Right? I become my own God, my own eyes, my own rights. I want to see it. But what do we see in this picture? We don't see that. We see the opposite of that. What do we see? We see 10 lepers. They didn't ask for leprosy. From the moment somebody found the blemish on their skin, they have been kept outside the camp. No relationships, wore a mask over their face, shouted unclean everywhere they went, couldn't do their hair, had to leave it all wild and crazy, they 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 had this social standard that they could never meet ever ever and they are the ones who are coming shouting to Jesus master master that word that word is an interesting word that they use the word master it's it's A word only his disciples ever used of him. How would they know that word? Why, Why did they choose that? It's a word that would be used for someone in authority. Someone who had power. Someone who had the ability to connect God with these outcasts. That's the word. Master, have mercy on us. Master, have mercy on us. Uh, such a beautiful picture throughout scripture because you will never find a time when somebody asked God for mercy, they didn't get it. You know who doesn't ask for mercy? The proud. The ones who think, I'm the judge. I'm going to judge God. I'm going to put him on trial. And I don't think he can stand the test. we understand the craziness of that idea? You get that the Bible teaches us that God is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. His knowledge is infinite. So if I put God on trial, do I have infinite knowledge? Is there a possibility in what I don't know that God might know what He's doing? Men have been putting God on trial since Genesis chapter 3. Declaring their independence from him. So these guys are crying out to Jesus and asking for a visitation from God. Have mercy on us. We need a visitation from God. They're asking Jesus for a visitation from God. Using a word only the disciples used to call out to him. Because they, they, they can't come near. They, they're trying to follow the, the directions that they're supposed to follow. So Jesus responds to them in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests. And the next phrase is kind of important. And as they went, what happened? They were cleansed. Now this event brings into focus a story in the Old Testament where this same thing happened just like this let's take a look at it together in second kings chapter 5 in second kings chapter 5 listen says naaman the commander of the army of the king of syria was a great man with his master high in favor because by him the lord had given victory to syria So what's going on? Well, God's working in this guy's life. Well, this guy's a Gentile. Yeah, he's a Gentile. God's giving him victory over Syria. God's blessing this guy's life. Wow, wow, that's weird. You mean God works in people's lives? They weren't Jews? Yeah. Are you reading the story? The Lord is blessing him. The Lord gives him victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. What's the next phrase? But he was a leper. He's a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. Oh, that's not right. You mean God's given favor to this Syrian who's going out and wiping people out, and he's helping them have the victory, and, and <clears throat> this guy attacks an a, a, a Israelite tribe, a family group, a, I'm sure wiping out a number of... Men, women and children, but he takes one small child for his slave. Why would God allow such a thing? What an immoral God. So what happens when we judge God? Wow, How could, what could God be doing here? Now, she worked in the service of Naaman 's wife. So this little girl, captured and made a slave, she said to her mistress. Oh, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he could cure him of his leprosy. What? What little girl slave does that? What little girl pulled away from her family, stuck into another place where she's got to be in servitude of someone else, cares about their Lord and master enough to tell them, you know, what you should do is go to Samaria, because there's a prophet there, and he can cure you of your leprosy. How's that happen? Look, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I begin at Genesis 1, I start with God. And once I start with God, all the things that don't make sense, they make sense. Because in the beginning, God. And all-powerful, all-knowing, all-beneficent, immaterial, infinite being who is personally involved in his creation, who is able to do things you and I can't comprehend. When I start with him, I look at this story and I go, wow. So God orchestrates a meeting between this Gentile leper... And a little girl, who he takes as a slave. And in this meeting, she tells him of a prophet that could cure his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, his king. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said... With, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, that must have made the king excited, right? You know the king and the prophet don't get along. If you know anything about Jewish history, kings and prophets never got along. Why? Because the prophet says, Thus saith the Lord, and the king never wants to do it. So all of a sudden, a guy shows up with leprosy, and he says to the king, Hey, uh, hands him a letter from the, the king of Syria, who's just been you know, attacking them all around. And he says, hey, I'm sending you a guy with leprosy. Cure him. (laughs) What? You have got to be outside your head. So it says, uh, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel. He wants to go to war with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to him and said, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So the king tells him, So Naaman came with his horse's chariot, stood outside the door of Elisha's house, far cry from the palace. And Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored. And you will be clean. Jesus said to these guys, Go show yourself to the priest." And as they went, as they respond, what happened? They're cleansed. Here the prophet says to this guy, Go wash yourself in the Jordan. Was there something special about the Jordan? If we go wash ourselves in the Jordan today, Will it cure us of our skin maladies? Will we find purity in the waters of the Jordan? If you come with me to Israel you will be excited to be baptized in a Jordan and depressed when you look at it. All at the same time. Because it's still the same Jordan. Right? And I promise we'll go someplace where it's semi-blue. But you go other places and you'll say, I'm pretty sure I don't want to swim there. Especially the place where all the baptisms happen. Crazy. So this guy, he gets upset. Naaman was angry. He went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and... Stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water of Israel? I could wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came to him, his slaves, the outcasts. They came to him, and they said to him, My father, is it a great word the prophet has spoken to you? Won't you do it? Is it so hard? Is it such a hard thing? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped seven times into Jordan. According to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was obedient and he was healed. He was obedient and he was cleansed. And he comes back to Elisha and he's all blown away. So I'm pretty sure he didn't think nothing was going to happen. He was still kind of like I probably would have been. And he, and he comes back and he says, Hey man, I brought all this silver and gold and clothes and camels and it's all yours. And Elisha says, No, man, you can't buy what just happened for you. You've been touched by the, the God of Israel, King of kings and Lord of lords. He has had... Mercy on you. In the same way Jesus is calling to these ten, go show yourself to the priest. Now other times when a leper came to him, Jesus touched him, right? This time is different. He never does the same thing the same way the same time All because that's what we would do, right? We would put healing in a box and we would walk around and say, this is what Jesus did, and if I do it just like Jesus did, it'll work. But the reality is Scripture teaches God does the healing i, I don't right I, but i'll be i'll ask i won't be afraid to ask i won't be afraid to seek him so it says then one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back so something happened on the way right somehow along the way they begin to discover it's gone it's it's not on me anymore i'm i'm cleansed I'm cleansed. And turning back and praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his feet at Jesus or fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So one of them wanted more than a healing. Now, this is the problem with a lot of folks in the way they view healing they associate healing with God's love and God's care and if he doesn't heal then God doesn't love me or care for me. And that's not taught in scripture. God the, the scripture says we know God loved us because when we were yet sinners Christ died for us. That's how we know. So but sometimes people equate that, right? They'll equate a A healing with it. And nine people out of ten did. And they just kept going. I'm good. But one of them couldn't have went to the temple anyway. How come? He's a Samaritan. There's a sign at the temple that says, outsiders can't pass this spot. He wasn't welcome at the temple anyhow. But he stops and he turns around and he, and he goes back. And he does something that you don't want to miss. He falls down in a posture of worship before Jesus and praises God. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, don't do that. Jesus just baths in the glory that is being poured out upon the Lord God Almighty. So Jesus says to him in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where's everybody else? They were all cleansed. It wasn't just this guy, ten lepers were healed. ten. Ten lepers got the, asked Jesus for a visitation from God and got it. as they were obedient to his word, and they turned to show themselves to the priests, they were all healed, every one of them. but one of them stopped on his way and came back, and he says, Jesus says in verse eighteen. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Here's a truth. God pours out his grace and mercy even upon the ungrateful. Here's something else. Jesus asked us to do that too. You're kidding me. No, really. We talked about it in Luke chapter 6. Let's look. Luke six thirty-five. Listen to how he said it. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. Why? Because you're doing what he does. For he is kind to the ungrateful. Do you see it? He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Sun shines on the just and the evil, the evil and the good. God's blessing, they fall, they come, they still happen. Ten guys are cleansed, one guy returns. And here's the beauty of the one guy who returns. Don't miss it in verse 19. The the very end, the final conclusion, shows us the one thing that's needed. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has sozo. Sozo, interesting word in the Greek. You know what it means? Saved you. Your faith has saved you. Ten guys were cleansed. Ten guys were healed. One guy was saved. Why was he saved? Because not only was he obedient to what the word of God said, but he responded in thanksgiving to God, falling at Jesus' feet, praising the Lord. He's showing faith. Every time someone comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says we enter that relationship by faith. We enter it by faith. We believe God. We trust him. We put our hope in him. But every time someone puts faith in God, you know that faith has working clothes on it. It results in a changed life. Ten guys got cleansed, one guy's life changed. How do I know? He turned around. And he came back. Nine guys' lives didn't change. Those nine guys, they went back to their life. They went back to their families. They went back to the things that they wanted because all they really wanted was not a savior. All they really wanted was not a, a God to, to serve or to follow. All they really wanted was to have life back on their own terms. And they got it. Everybody's got one life to live. You live it any way you want. Is appointed unto man once to die and then... Then you stand before your maker. Well, that's real. One guy's life was transformed by his faith. He actually believed when he fell on his knees and shouted out, Master, if you're willing, you can can link us to God and God God can change my life. And if we're honest in our lives, we've had that moment, okay? It's not... It's not about leprosy. It's not about. <laughs> it's just about being separated from God, being outside the camp, being estranged from Him. But if I'm honest and I, I recognize that there's a moment in my life where just like that leper, I shout to God and I say, God, if you're willing, have mercy on me. You can save me. And the very next thing God says, the very next thing that occurs is, is Jesus lays out this idea that if you love me, You keep my commandments. You follow me. And as they respond, as they say, Yeah, Lord, uh, you're right. Yeah, if, if, if you're my king, as I'm calling to you, I'll follow you. And the difference between empty words and the reality is the fact these guys all turn around and walk, they all obeyed. But this one came back and he said no man you are worthy of my praise you're worthy of my love you're worthy of my honor you're... and he comes back and bows the knee no before his great God and king and Jesus looks at him and says something different to him than he said to everybody else your faith has made you well Didn't your faith didn't heal you that's not what he said He didn't use a word for heal. Your faith has saved you. And so we cry on the name of the Lord, and the Lord God answers. All ten lepers are cleansed, but one leper is saved. Not because of his ancestry, not because of his ritual purity. Really, despite all those things, he saved because he had faith. Take that back to where we started. God, why can't I have whatever fruit I want? Why why can't I eat from this tree? What's the big deal? Justify yourself to me. Don't you see the difference in that? Then the leper with his knee bowed, saying, "Praise God, you're my King." If you tell me wash in this river, I'll wash. I may not understand why. What's the big deal? I could wash anywhere, I could wash my tub, take a shower, but I'll go washing it. The Lord God has said that He has exalted His Word above His name. That's an amazing thing. He has exalted His word. You know what really blesses God? What pleases Him? Our faith. You know how our faith can be expressed? God says this far no further. And we say amen. Kind of amazes me how hard that is. Hey, I'm not saying it's how hard that is for you. I got to live the word too, right? How hard is it for me to, because I'll buck against it. What if something in the word of God said, you know what? All fat white guys with a goatee have to stand on their head six hours a day. I don't know. Don't stop nudging your dad. Don't say that's you. That's mean. I'm talking about me. Couldn't I just just say to God, You're God. I'll stand on my head. I have to have a reason? Because as soon as I say, God, you've got to give me a reason, that doesn't make any sense. I've elevated myself to judge. I'm saying my knowledge is greater than His. My understanding is greater than His. Or I can say, you're my king. Now, I learned some of that in eight years in the Marine Corps. I remember showing up at boot camp scared They shave your head like maniacs. You think they're using a lawnmower, but it's really clippers. And they are screaming at you while they're doing it, and they tell you to put your finger... On a mole, if you have a mole. Does anybody know if they got a mole on their head? <laughs> I don't know if I got a mole on my head. And you don't get to ask a question. You don't if, by the time you say what, it's gone. Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I told you. Put a finger. Oh. I remember a guy telling me, one of the one of the drill instructors, I remember him saying, Sta- Staff Sergeant Garcia. He said, before this is over. You'll do whatever I say. And I said, no, I won't. <laughs> oh, yes, I will. By the time it was over. But I learned something about authority and responsibility. And listen, this is the real test for all of us. And something that we really need to consider. what What is your ultimate authority? Because my ultimate authority is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, revealed through his word. So... He's the ultimate authority, not me. So, where he sends, I'll go. If that's not where you're at, maybe you're like one of the nine lepers. But you're walking away. Don't walk away, come back. Don't come back to get in an argument with God and say, justify yourself to me. Come back to bow the knee. Come back to see, to trust, to faith. And allow him to work in your life. And you will see the fingerprints of God. Everywhere you look. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word, to come to you, to open our hearts. I pray, Lord, opening our minds, seeing seeing the scripture, Lord, understanding. Lord, I pray, God, that whatever, whatever stuff I brought today that was me, just wash all that away. Straight out of people's hearing, God, and implant firmly your word, your call, your wisdom, for only you can save. Only you can bring about that faith that brings salvation. The word of God tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You said in Isaiah, that wherever your word goes, it will carry with it, it will bring about the purpose for which it was sent. The purpose behind the word of God is to plant seeds of faith. God, I pray that faith grows in us. We learn to trust you. You are good, and I'm a testimony of your goodness. And whenever I come up against something and I say, Why, Lord, why would you do this? Why is it like that? I put it on a shelf and I say, When I know like God knows, I'll understand. I trust you. I trust the one who gave me life. I trust the one who loved me when nobody else did. I trust the one who met me in a dark street who was there for me when I cried out, Master, have mercy on me. To The one who comforts me when I stumble and regret. To the one who was beat by the fists of man. To the one who took my punishment upon himself so that he could... provide a way so that I could be found in Christ striving toward perfection but I am already a just man made perfect because I'm in him he covers me he's the armor that I wear and it might be dingy and dusty and dented But we put it on every day. And I bow the knee before a king and I say, it's your day, God, have your way. God, I pray that we could find our place in that surrender and see you move in our lives. So God, be glorified as we look to you. And I pray here in this room today, There are not nine unthankful lepers, but we're all the tenth. We're the one who wants to come back and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For you are able to do abundantly above all I can ask or imagine. So God, be glorified in this place as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.